Hey, folks, welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We got the full crew here tonight, and we are in a celebration mode. Season's over. A tough year for the Cubs, but we're going to celebrate some of the positive moments from this year. We're going to look back at some of the low moments. The important thing, though, here is maybe the worst is behind us. So we're in an optimistic mood. We want to have some fun here tonight. A couple more things we're going to talk about. There has been some Chicago Cubs organizational news in the last couple of days, some changes on their coaching staff. Jed Hoyer, the team's head of baseball operations, held an end-of-the-season press conference on Wednesday. We got some thoughts on what he said and maybe the tone that it set here getting ready to go into the offseason. We have our inaugural end of the season here award show and then before we wrap up this evening we'll take a quick look around major league baseball playoffs the cardinals are out we certainly want to talk about that and then the bears coming off a great win at home head out to las vegas to take on chucky and the raiders this weekend so we'll get a couple minutes talking chicago bears football but jeremy it's good to see you this evening randall you as well uh everybody's here and i hope you guys are also in a good mood tonight i am so happy to be talking cubs baseball with you guys this evening I'm in a very good mood, as always. I'm always in a good mood when we do this podcast. I, I like doing it a lot. It's fun. And so, you know, I'm upbeat. The season's over, but uh, we got the whole offseason to talk. And then into next year, as you said, hopefully the worst is behind us. Yeah, yeah. This season was no fun. It, it's a little bit of a relief for it to be over. But, you know, you still miss the Cubs now that they're gone. Uh, but, you know, the Cardinals being out puts me in a good mood, too. They're, they're, if you can't celebrate your successes, revel in the failure of your enemies. Randall, you got a lot to say about the Cardinals. Yeah. We're certainly going to get to get into that a little bit. And uh, also the first game in the wild card over the American League, Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber as leadoff hitters hitting home runs in that ball game. So, so much to discuss there. But this is a Cubs podcast. We love the Cubs and we want to start with some relevant Cubs news right now. Jed Hoyer holds his end of the season press conference on Wednesday. Lots to talk about there, but I do want to start with the imminent changes that we're going to see to the Chicago Cubs coaching staff. Two mainstays here, not returning to the team next year, and there's still a possibility that there's going to be more movement or shifting on the coaching staff. But here's what we know today. Hitting coach Anthony Iaposi, who's been the hitting coach since 2019, he's got ties with the team going back to uh, seven or six years before that, 2013. He is out as hitting coach. So he's with the team here in 19, 20, 21 as hitting coach. He is not back. That's one year with Joe Madden, a year and a COVID season with David Ross. Were you surprised, Randall, to see the hitting coach here get the door? He'll not be returning in 22. I was, I was a little surprised because I don't think he was the problem. Um, you had guys come up like Wisdom and Schwindle who hit pretty well while they were up here. So you think that would have gone some distance towards keeping them on the staff, but somebody has got to fall on their sword. And I think Hadavi is too aligned with their pitching lab data-driven approach right now. Uh, so somebody, somebody had to go and they, they picked the hitting coach. I'm not, I'm not surprised at all, to be honest. Uh, I, I, it, I thought I opposed he might go after last year, um, you know, or even 2019 with when Ross came in, uh, you know, he was brought in because he was close with Chris. He was close with those guys that came up through the system. Javi, um, you know, back when they were coming up as the development, we had, they had the whole Chili Davis experiment that didn't work. The players didn't get along with Chili Davis. So they brought in Anthony Iaposi to be like, this is the guy you're comfortable with. This is the guy you like. And now all those guys are gone. You know, yeah. they're not here anymore. So what Chris Bryant wants doesn't really matter anymore. So I think it's, you know, what doesn't surprise me that he's gone and get somebody that David Ross is comfortable with and likes 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more uh, coaching staff moves. I know that Jed said that the assistant hitting coach, Chris Valeka, will be back next year in some fashion, whether it's the assistant hitting coach, maybe gets the bumped up to hitting coach. We'll see. But, no, it didn't surprise me, really, to see Iaposi gone. You know, what I'll always remember about uh, Chili Davis is how, when he was hired prior to the 2018 season, Jesse Rogers passed along something like, you know, he was the hitting coach with the Mets last year and they didn't hit home runs. And I hate, I hate that Jesse Rogers was right about that. Like, I hate it. That that has nothing to do with Iaposi. It's just, that's what comes to mind. A lot of anger <laughs> over Jesse Rogers tweets, but I like Chili Davis in terms of as a player. I thought Chili Davis was an awesome yeah. player. So I thought maybe, Hey, he's got a line drive approach. Let's see how this goes. See if it's interesting. It didn't quite work out for the Cubs. They, no. uh, Chris Bryant, went against what Chris Bryant wanted to do and some other players. So to me, I didn't think I opposed. I don't know how you felt Ronan, if you mm-hmm. thought that was a surprise, but I, I wasn't surprised by it. No. And unfortunately there's been a revolving door at hitting coach for the yeah. Cubs over the last couple of seasons. So it's just been, they haven't been able to find the guy. The reason why I'm not surprised is obviously the franchise is going in a different direction. The big stars have been traded this question now is what players will be extended. And now there's a whole nother generation, hopefully of great Cubs hitters that are in low levels of the minor leagues. One of the guys up in AAA that are going to matriculate to the majors over the next couple of seasons, time for change. Right. And I also think that David Ross inherited a lot of coaches, which a lot of managers don't have happen. Sometimes that's the case. Maybe he wants to build out his guys and flesh out what his team is going to look like. We all need to accept the fact this is not 2015. This is not 2016 anymore. This is a new era of Cubs baseball. We had to deal with that the hard way with all these players leaving, but it's time for a change. So no, I wasn't too surprised to see him go. And Jed said something and, you know, Jed's a tactful guy. He says the right things when speaking to the media, but he made it seem like Iaposi and the Cubs were, were sort of leaving on good terms, that they both felt that this was the time for a change. I don't want the Cubs to be an organization that's burning bridges with people. I want them to be an organization that's respected. And Iaposi was a big part of those Cubs World Series teams. He joined the franchise in 2013. He worked himself to being an assistant to Theo Epstein. To your point, Jeremy, he worked with all the hitters in the minor leagues starting in 2013. All the great hitters that we saw for the last six or seven years with the Cubs, he had a hand in that. So it's, it's just another signal or symptom of a change of the guards. That's how I feel about it. And I'm at least glad that they handled it like pros, and I oppose he's going to have no problem finding work. That guy's going to be fine moving forward, and it's time for the Cubs to go in a new direction. I think they should try Rudy Jaramillo again. Oh, God. <laughs> What's Rudy <laughs> up to these days? You know, I don't know that he's up to anything, actually. I, I looked him up just now to make sure I was pronouncing his name right, and there is nothing listed after he departed the Cubs following the 2012 season. He spent like 16 years with the Texas Rangers, which seems like an yeah. insanely long time to be a hitting coach. And then think about the fact that you spend 16 years in one place, you're probably there for life almost. And then you decide to get paid. You, you leave your team, you go to the next team, and then you're gone in like a year or two, you're out. Three seasons. Not, you've Three been seasons out of a job ever since. So like he had it set up, but who knows? I mean, you're right, Ronan. The Cubs have gone through a ton of hitting coaches yeah. over the last few years, whether it be assistant hitting coach, regular hitting I mean, the hitting coach when they won the World Series was a Chicago guy, was John Maley. Uh, yeah. And he, they got rid of him. He uh, he left out after, you know, 2017 or 2018 uh, to bring in Chili Davis. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where they go with the hitting coach, especially since they've did a whole revamp of the entire player development process, which, you know, probably mostly focused on the major on minor leagues, but includes the major leagues. And so they have a whole, you know, 
you know, uh, offensive like game plan, kind of like swing mechanics and all this other stuff about how they run it. So you would think they want to bring a hitting coach that fits into that. Exactly. And it's Jed ship now. And it's 10 years past the last time there was a huge organizational shift. The sport has changed. The talent within the Cubs organization has changed. Things don't stay the same. You need a franchise to evolve and change. And this is just a symptom of it. Uh, another change though. And you know, this one bummed me out more than it should. I think just because of his longevity in the Cubs organization, Mike Borzello, 10 years with the Chicago Cubs, his most recent title, an assistant pitching coach, catching coach, a strategy coach as part of uh, David Ross's coaching staff. But he's been a part of a lot of coaching staffs. This guy was hired by Dale Swaim, which means he worked under Dale Swaim, Ricky Renteria, Joe Madden, and now David Ross. So I, how many coaches in Major League Baseball have that type of longevity? 10 years in the Chicago Cubs organization, but that's it for Borzello. And, you know, Jeremy, it's hard for us on the outside to really know how good or effective these assistant coaches are. It's a little bit more visible with a hitting coach or a pitching coach. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. A guy like Borzello, I just liked. And maybe I just liked him because he's been around for the last 10 years. I was a little bit bummed to see him go. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's a piece, another piece of the world championship team that's leaving. And uh, just to go back a little bit, I was blanking on the guy they hired. His name is, you know, Justin Stone to come in and change all the offensive hitting mechanics. So mm -hmm. I would think he has a big say in who they hire as hitting coach. But with Borzello, um, you know, it was kind of, he brought in under Dale Swayman. He's just a guy that's been there the whole time. He's always yeah. been on the front step, on that that top step. He's very visible with the team. Before Tommy Hadevy was the pitching coach, him, him and Tommy Hadevy worked, and I'm sure they still worked very closely on a pitching game plan and pitching strategy for every uh, game when Tommy Hadevy was like the run prevention coordinator. And, you know, I had learned some things about Mike Borzello. Just, you know, he, he was he's Joe Torrey's godson. That's basically how he got into baseball uh, with the Yankees and then over to the Dodgers and was borrowed to the Cubs. Uh, and, you know, he was in the movie for Love of the Game. He was he was John C. Riley stunt double a catcher. So and he was a big baseball uh, into like working with all the uh, baseball technical advisor kind of on that movie. So, you know, he's kind of guy who's been around yeah. and he's got five World Series rings, I believe. So it's a little disappointing to see him go. I. I don't quite think it's like we talked about with um, uh, with Iaposi. I don't think it's quite as that unexpected because I, I do think that even though Ross was here for, with Brazil, I do think that, you know, he's going to want his own coaches and to go forward with his own game plans yeah. and stuff like that. So and I think they had talked about Brazil possibly leaving in the past, but it's sad. It's just it's another guy that's gone that, you know, that was there the whole time. So. It's definitely a little bit. I, I was a little surprised when I, I when Jed did say that one coming out at the press conference, it did hit me a little bit. Well, my, my Mike Borzello story is that for the first few years, I thought he was John Melee. So uh, sorry about that, Mike. Um, but yeah, you know, assistant coaches like this are a lot like backup catchers. You can tell what the organization feels about them by how long they stick around. And Borzello, we said, was here through four different uh, coaching staffs. And that says a lot about what they think of him as a, as a game planner and as a coach. So uh, you, you would hope anyone on the roster who had close ties to him is okay with this. You don't need, you don't need that kind of drama going into next year, but it is sad to see him go. And he was very close with uh, Clayton Kershaw. That's one of his guys. Hmm. I was surprised at how young he was. I thought he was older. He's only like 49, which means when the oh. Cubs hired him, he was only like 40. So yeah. I, I thought he was an older guy. It's just so rare to have an assistant coach uh, have that type of longevity. Think about like Lester Strode, but mm -hmm. very long career with the Cubs. Uh, but those guys are kind of a dime a dozen. I mean, most assistant coaches or pitching coaches, 
you get two or three years, and if the team isn't getting better, you're out. And then you make the playoffs. You have a great year. You you have a setback the next season, even if it's like injury driven or whatever. You're out the door. So a tough life in, in some respects. Baseball's brutal. Um, Mike Barzello's had a wonderful run with the Chicago Cubs, and something that's kind of cool. I hope I say this right because I realize this ends with the Cubs losing, but it's sort of neat that he was a part of the ride of he was there before they got good. He was there as the team got good. All these great young players, Chris Bryan and, and, and Schwarber and Baez make their major league debuts. They win the division. They win the pennant. They win the world series. He was there for all of it, but then he kind of saw the back end of the it. Downfall. The he downfall. Saw the, he, he was saw there the though for day. like the life cycle of it is one way of looking at it. Yeah. It's it. There's not many left from that start. I mean, you got Jed, nope. you got Jason McLeod, but there's not a lot of guys left that were there at the start of this all. And, you know, and another thing with Borzell, he was also the catching coach uh, for a while. And I think with Craig Driver coming in, really taking a hold of that whole catching situation, uh, I think that kind of pushed Borzell out as well a little bit. He was here for the sunrise. He was here for high noon and he was here for the, the sun setting. So he saw the whole life cycle from caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly to the, the end of the cycle. But he's out now. Yep. Um, and we got that information yesterday. Jed Hoyer meeting with the media. It was about a 60-minute press conference. I watched it last night uh, after work. I certainly wanted to see what Jed had to say. Jeremy, you watched it. Yeah, Randall, I had did on. you catch it? Or at least I know, I'm sure you probably saw bits and pieces of it. I saw, I saw bits and pieces of it. You know, I don't get a whole lot out of watching those things live because I know I can find a, a, written, a written version of it that I can read at my own pace later on. So I did get bits and pieces of it written later on. Well, let's, let's keep this relatively quick because we got a very, very exciting award show to get into in just a couple of minutes. Jeremy, if there was one takeaway, either good or bad, that you say you pulled from that press conference yesterday, what, what is it or what stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I, I think, well, Jed, he, he said, as we know, that the priority needs to be starting pitching next yeah. offseason. And he said, and I like that he said that we need more guys that can blow people away. We, we need more guys to get strikeouts. Like, you know, because Jed built this rotation where nobody could throw hard. And he talked about how Kyle is basically a unicorn um, nowadays. And so I, I, I like that he, he knows that. He clearly knows that. Um, so I hope that he, he goes out and he makes it the priority, like he says, and brings in guys that can get strikeouts. Cause I think it's very important to do that. And he's done that in the bullpen. So, and he talked a lot about how they do have a lot of guys that have a lot of velocity in the minors and bringing them up. And so that coupled with the fact that he said they do have resources to go out and spend. He obviously wouldn't get into what that means and how, like he didn't, he wouldn't say whether he'd be in on top guys, but he wouldn't deny they wouldn't be on top guys. Um, so, you know, people took that all different ways, but I, I, I do think that the Cubs are going to be players this off season. And I like that he had specifically a focus on starting pitching and guys that could strike people out. Yeah. The big thing for me is that he remains adamant that the Cubs will spend this off season. You know, he keeps couching it as best he can. He's not saying they're going to spend huge, but he's saying they're going to spend, he's had every opportunity to not say that. And, you know, I don't put a whole lot of stock into these press conferences because as a, another Ursine team in town uh, shows us a guy can say something at a press conference one day and the very next day, it's completely the opposite, but he, he remains adamant that the Cubs are going to spend some money this off season. So I remain curious as to see how they're going to spend what they're going to spend and on whom they're going to spend. That's pretty much where I was at with it too. The, the big positive was, 
the acknowledgement that they need more power arms, that the strikeouts are lacking, and that that's an area of severe focus. He also made a good point, too, that how good the bullpen was, particularly before the trade deadline. And those were guys that he and his staff acquired and developed. They had a very, very good bullpen when they were a first-place team. Even when the starting pitching wasn't very good, you knew those final four innings, definitely the final three innings, it was locked down, and the Cubs were a first-place team in mid-June because of that. Then you trade away these guys, and there was definitely some good pitching in the bullpen the second half of the year, but not like Chafin and Kimbrell and Tapera and those power arms, particularly Kimbrell and Tapera, the first half of the season. I was a little bit worried about his elusive answer, maybe with regards to payroll or how aggressive they'd be in the offseason. I think the quote that irked some folks, and it's really just a matter of how you perceive it, but the quote was, we're trying to create a competitive roster we're also not trying to aim to win the offseason. So you hear that and you're like, okay, well, that certainly makes sense on one hand. On the other hand, is he going to go for the kill? Is he going to go for those big-time, top-of-the-line starting pitchers or go middle in the pack and try to get two and three of them? That's something that's going to be worth watching. Um, we know there's money to spend. We know the farm system's improving. We know that there are legitimate major league pieces on that roster right now. It's just a matter of how aggressive is this team going to be. But overall... Yeah optimistic with the press conference i thought jed did fine and i was mostly happy with what i heard yeah i i i understand why you know i didn't really have a problem with that quote at all uh personally because that's personally how i see things like i i it's not about winning the offseason i mean you look what the padres did you look at what lots of the white Sox did over the years you look at different things um you know winning the offseason making all the it depends on how you spend money just because you make moves doesn't make you a great team um, but I don't, I don't take what he said necessarily as, as being that they're not going to spend money. Um, he just says they're not going to, you know, they're going to spend money in the way that they best see fit pretty much. And what that means is, I mean, if they think, you know, I, they're if like, let's say they need a shortstop and they have these huge shortstop, you know, of the market, I, I think they'll definitely be in on them. I, I mean, I don't know if they'll end up signing one, but I think they'll definitely be in on them and making an attempt to sign them. And one, I hope they do sign one, but you know, they're not going to go out and like just spend money for the sake of spending money, I think. And, you know, that's always been my thing. It's like, you don't need to spend money for the sake of spending money. You should be, you should be spending money when you think you have a good deal and making and making a move to make your team better, but you shouldn't just be going out there just to sign a guy for the sake of signing a guy to look like you're spending money. And I think that's what Jeb was trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's just a matter of, because the real question is how much money is he going to get to work with and how soon is he going to get to work with that? And as we know, some of that depends on what the collective, bargaining agreement looks like there's talks about salary caps and salary floors and changes on uh, if you're over the luxury tax how it impacts you financially moving forward the draft can be impact there's so many different things that will impact how you structure a major league roster that's going to determine what jed does so um all in all though you know he's well spoken i i have confidence in him that's something that i can say let me contrast it to this every time matt nagy opens his mouth i bang my head on the keyboard and go god damn Justin Fields, find a way to save us. Make it work somehow. I don't feel that way when Jed Hoyer talks. Just get a little bit nervous about the money sometimes. Well, he didn't. He addressed the CBA. He talked about how that's going to be a huge issue. And and with Jed, you know, you compare him to Nagy. Jed and Theo as well, but Jed, to me, has always really been – I always thought he's been very forthright and seemingly honest 
And, you know, he's not going to tell you everything. He obviously they're going to hide some things. Uh, he said, he, but he's upfront about it. He's like, we're hiding these things for because we think it's in our best interest to like to hide them. Like he says, we're not going to go into what, you know, pay, what payroll resource or what resource we have, what our payroll is going to be, because it's to our competitive advantage to not do that. Whereas other people, you know, Matt Nagy, they'll play like coy. They'll be like, oh, we don't know because we don't know. like, you know, it's like, but Jed's pretty forthright. He's pretty honest. He's pretty upfront about how they feel. And when, and so I, I trust him. Like when he tells me something, I trust him. I do too. And I, I do trust the Cubs are getting better. I trust they're trending in the right direction. And I really hope that we get some competitive baseball next season because watching the playoffs the last couple of days, I, it's like I'm homesick or something. It's like, okay, this is fun and cool and I'm enjoying watching games, but this isn't as fun as when the Cubs are playing in it. Even though it's frustrating, you get beat by the Marlins and that sucks like what we saw last season. But I'm missing the Cubs right now, and I'm missing watching the Cubs play these games in front of electric audiences like this that you get in the playoffs. One thing that kind of bothered me more than it should, talking about how what you're talking about right now with like how we're missing the Cubs right now, was when I saw like a bunch of like other Chicago sports teams. You know, they always do the perfunctory like, oh, like go yeah. White Sox or whatever. It's the playoffs, and then seeing all that, and then realizing that the Cubs aren't in the playoffs, yeah. and they're not doing it about the Cubs. It kind of just made me kind of sad and whatever. I was like, I was like, oh, we'd be seeing all this stuff. Like the Bears would be wishing a, a good luck to the Cubs or something, and mm-hmm. I'm not seeing that right now. And that was kind of disappointing and kind of frustrating. I saw a lot of folks reaching out about the White Sox. Uh, Barack Obama had yep. a, a tweet today about the Southside squad, and then they got spanked by Dusty Baker. But we'll get into that a little bit later. We want to celebrate what we can here from the 2021 Chicago Cubs. What we wanted to do here was put together a fun award show. And as we move into that, a couple of totals, stats, facts, and figures from the last season to kind of put everything in perspective And then we want to talk about highs. We want to talk about lows, the good moments, the bad moments. We really want to have a good time with that. One of the great things that we introduced this season was our buddies at Cubs Weather giving us updated forecasts when the Cubs were coming home for homestands and going on the road. And when we were plotting this idea for an end of the season recap show, we reached out to Alexander Hall and we said, hey, man, could you give us some stats and figures and interesting weather-related things that pertain to the Cubs this season? So before we get into wins and losses and highs and lows, let's get into a different set of highs and lows. Randall, what do you got here from Alexander regarding the 2021 weather at large for the Cubs? Well, our last update this season from Alexander, whom, of course, as always, you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall. We'll get into his account a little later on. He was nice enough to put together some, as Ronan said, highs and lows pertaining to this bygone 2021 Cubs season. What Alexander tells us is that the coldest start temperature for a Cubs game was 36 degrees. And that was for opening day, 120 on April 1st. Mm. Uh, Jeremy, I believe you were out there. And I think you I was, can tell definitely. us, you can tell us as much as anything. That was a very cold day. It was a bright day. It was a sunny day, but it was cold. It was definitely their, cold. Their warmest start temperature was actually lower than you might think. It was only 91 degrees. And that was for oh. a 6, 10 PM game against the White Sox down on the South side. The windiest game had 18 mile per hour sustained winds. And that was a 609 game on September 22nd in Minnesota against the twins. Yeah. Their first 90-degree game with start temperature was a 7.05 game on July 27th 
against the Reds at Wrigley. So they did not hit a 90 degree start, or 90 degree game time temperature until almost the trade deadline, which is weird if you think about Chicago in the summer. And then what Alex tells us is that uh, the categories that had the most total wins for the Cubs is that the Cubs had the most wins when the temperatures were between 80 and 84 degrees <laughs> and the winds were six to 10 miles per hour. So right in that sweet spot of warm temperature and gentle winds, the Cubs did the, their best work winning games. The Cubs played 31 games in those conditions, temperature wise, and they actually won 14 of them. Uh, so Alexander, nice enough to put that information together for us. We appreciate Alexander's contributions all season. He's nice enough to put together these weather forecasts for us each week. Alexander runs Cubs weather, which you can find on Twitter at Cubs weather. He is one third of it along with uh, Andrew Pritchard, who you can find on Twitter at SkyDrama, as well as Colin Davis, who you can find on Twitter at Donkey Downburst. And I mentioned uh, a few editions ago that Alexander has a new venture on which he's working. And so what he tells us to tell you is that if you are stressed about the weather for your outdoor event, you can reach out to him at eventwx.com. That's E-V-E-N-T-W-X.com for advance and day of weather decision support, whether you are holding a picnic, a weather, a, uh, a wedding, a family reunion, a sporting event, anything outdoors, reach out to Alexander. He will get you the advanced weather information you need. Again, that is eventwx.com, E-V-E-N-T-W-X.com. So thank you one more time to Alexander and all the great guys at Cubs Weather for the uh, weekly forecasts this season. That's great. Really, really good stuff. Thank you so much, Alexander. We'll get you on here this offseason. Lots more Weather Cubs stuff to talk about. I think that's the game plan as we kind of navigate through the offseason. We'll dip into some guests, a lot of folks that we wanted to get on this year. We're still figuring out what this podcast is going to look like. And uh, with that in mind, we're going to get him back on. But very, very good stuff there. Enjoy the weather notes. So thank you for that. Here's a couple of stats from the last season as we move into our end of the year award show the Chicago Cubs finished this season 71 and 91 24 games behind first place Milwaukee that's fourth place in the National League Central the five the sub 500 rather season is the first time for the Cubs since 2014 also Randall the first fourth place finish for the Cubs since 2005 when they went 79 and 83 finished 21 games back and we know what happened in 2005 Yes, yes, that did not end well uh, for Cubs fans with the Sox beating the Astros. But I was surprised that lots of fifth-place finishes, some first-place finishes, but the last fourth-place finish back in 2005 when Derek Lee won the batting title. And the halcyon days of Jeremy Burnett's patrolling right field at Wrigley. Uh, that's, that's very cub is that they've done lots of years where they were the worst in the division, but not so many where they were the second worst in the division. So something, something the Cubs have not excelled at is being bad, but not the worst. The run differential for the Cubs this year, that's the runs you score minus the runs you give up. Not good. Minus 134. That's how it ended for the Cubs this season. They were under 500 at Wrigley field. 39 and 42. They were 35 and 41 against the National League Central. Uh, two more things here that come to mind. There were 15 Cubs that were on the opening day, 26 man roster, that were out of the organization by the end of the season. The only player who was in the opening day starting lineup, who was in the game 162 starting lineup, was Ian Happ, that one constant from day one to the last day of the season. This was amazing, though. The final game of the year, the Cubs were wrapping up the season. 
a couple of new players made their Chicago Cubs debut, and that meant Randall. The Cubs had 69 different players suit up for the team this season. That is the most in Major League Baseball history. Beyond the 69, 15 made their Major League debuts, and 44 of the 69 Cubs, nearly two full rosters, were made up of players who made their Chicago Cubs debut. Talk about roster turnover, guys. Uh, just a roller coaster all season long. Guys coming and going. You know, the uh, crew in the clubhouse and the dugout were very, very busy swapping out those nameplates all year. Yeah, you know, uh, turnover, feel like, doesn't even cover it. Roster churn, like constantly guys in and out. And the Cubs don't use nameplates on their jerseys. So, you know, the poor clubhouse staff had to constantly be putting new names on there. And you know the process. They got to pr press them down and then sew them down, constantly making new jerseys for guys. So a very, very busy year for that poor clubhouse staff. I hope they got a nice bonus and a nice vacation after the season ended. Busy year for the assistant GMs having to do all that paperwork. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, faxes being sent. And Traveling <laughs> secretary, getting guys back and forth from different locations. Yeah, that shuttle too between Iowa and Chicago was just just like a back and forth all the time, yeah. guys coming and going. So 69 different players. The wonderful Cubs beat reporter, Jordan Bastion, Cubs.com, MLB.com. He's a big uh, stats guy, a very, very good follow on Twitter. He put together a quiz on Sporkle. That's a website that's bookmarked for Jeremy Spector. Oh, yeah. Trivia, facts, timed quizzes, basically. And Jordan Bastion put together one, can you name? all 69 players who appeared for the Cubs this year, he put a 20 minute limit on it. So if you're out there, if you want to try this yourself, do a Google search, Chicago Cubs, 2021 roster, Sporkle, Jordan Bastion. You do that. You're going to find it. 69 players. We all did it. One of us finished in first. One of us finished in second. One of us finished in third. And our buddy Stan, who put this in front of us, a longtime listener here of the show, he did better than one of us. And I don't think it's that big of a surprise. The person who finished third, getting 51 of 69 names correct, was yours truly, Ronan well, O'Shea, right here. That's the best I could do. I had 20 minutes to do it. There was one notable miss for me that when you hit the button at the end and it shows the names of the players that you missed that I was like, God damn, I really messed that one up. Tony Walters was the biggest miss that I had for a guy that I'm going to mention a little bit later here in the show. I failed to think of him for that. Most of the other misses for me were kind of those one-off guys in the bullpen or one of the 30 catchers they had this year. Um, some of the other names, Tyler Ladendorf, Jake Jewell, were the types of guys that I missed. But I finished the local guy, the show. Tyler Ladendorf. You know, but Stan did better Central than me. Suburban I think, League kid. Uh, I think Stan finished at 57. Mm. I just got 51. All right, now the big question is, who got second place, Jeremy or Randall? It was Jeremy Spector, 62 of 69. Jeremy, you missed seven players from the roster this year. What were some of the big misses for you? Uh, Dylan Maples, Tommy Nance, mm -hmm. uh, big miss. I missed a lot. I missed pretty much all bullpen guys. Uh, you know, uh, Pedro Strope, I completely forgot he was back on the team. for <laughs> Pedro Strope was a Cub in I, 2021. I completely forgot that Pedro Strope was on there. There were some names like that, uh, you know. I, I, to be honest, I remember seeing a name Ryan Meisinger in like box scores, but I don't think I ever <laughs> saw him pitch and I don't even know who that is. So like, that's a name. I'm just like, okay. Um, you know, some other names along those lines that I just totally blanked out of the bullpen, but I, you know, I, I I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious of what happened here with the guy who came in first. Uh, how do we know <laughs> there was no cheating going on? Well, the well, other thing too, uh, before you answer that, Randall, 
I got to tell the folks what you finished with. 1998 Sammy Sosa. Randall gets 66 of 69 Cubs. Something's a little fishy. Fishy. Something's a little fishy right here. Yeah, the the fishy is the envy, the jealousy. It permeates. (laughs) It radiates. There's lines of envy coming off of you two. Don't hate me because I'm good at this. Don't hate me because maybe I did have an advantage on the two of you being able to go over the number roster in my head, having... Uh, having had to have made jerseys for numbers MLB for most of these guys coming in and going out. I missed Cole Stewart. I missed Ryan Meisinger as Jeremy did. And I missed Ildemaro Vargas. And it's surprising. I missed Ildemaro Vargas because I was a proponent of him making the team out of spring training. Uh, So sorry to those three. Cole Stewart is the one that was right at the tip of my brain because he of course was number 37 this year. And I swore that the Cubs had a number 37 this year. Uh, which they did, but I couldn't remember Cole Stewart's name. Sorry about that, Cole Stewart. Uh, but yeah, 66 out of 69. And again, that's what I was able to do in my head is just go down that, go up and down that roster and say number one, number two, number three. And the fact that most of these guys who came up late in the season, who probably tripped a bunch of people up, were all wearing higher numbers, it made them easier to remember. So that is how I accomplished this incredible feat. Uh, again, don't be jealous because you didn't do as well as me, but I did. So something, something is rotten in Martin Grove. That's all I can tell. And you. again, and again, Jeremy is implying that I cheated, but cheated like strategically. So that's, as not if to, you're going to cheat, that's how you would cheat. I, yeah. Okay. No, you were okay, not going to cheat to get them all right. Then everybody would know you cheated. So you got to cheat. You know, Randall, you're claiming you're not a good cheater. All right. You know, I was fighting with my headset there during a little bit of your answer, Randall, so I didn't hear all of it. But did you name the three players that you didn't? I did. I did. Cole Stewart, number 37, Ryan Meisinger. I have no idea what number he wore. And Ildemaro Vargas. And this is the funny thing to me. Ildemaro Vargas, number 16 in a Cubs uniform. Patrick Wisdom, 16 in a Cubs uniform. I'm probably going to hang on to that for a little while. Ildemaro Vargas had come and gone in the time before Patrick Wisdom came up. It feels like Wisdom had been around all season, but he actually missed the first two months. And that's just the sort of thing that happens in a season this long. As you say, this guy came up when this guy was on the team this year, Steven Souza jr. Takes a net bat for the Dodgers last night. And I have to stop and ask myself, wait, was he on the Cubs this year or last year? It just all blurs together in a season like this. Patrick wisdom came up, I think originally because Matt Duffy went yeah. to the IL with like back problems. So just think about that. That's the reason wisdom was up. Well, we'd love to hear from listeners of the show, though. Give that quiz a shot. The expectation isn't that you're going to top Randall 66, but you got 20 minutes. Try to think of the names, and all you got to do is throw in the last name, which gives you a couple bonus points. There are a couple of Romines, a couple of Thompsons, a few different guys like that. So just put in the last name. It's going to sort out the best of it. Um, there was a player who I just I had a brain freeze on how to spell his name, and I tried everything you know it was Cody Hoyer which has a sort of a unique spelling and I was just in one of those moments where I'm I got a million names in my head I'm trying to type it and I'm frantically going h-e-u-h-u-e I know there's a couple r's in there that took a couple of tries but I was able to get Cody Hoyer there is only one r in there I think that was the problem those vowels those vowels tripping you up Ron and all those vowels fighting each other h-e-u E-R, I think. H-E-U-E-R is correct. And of course, it's Cody with an I, just to yes. just to add a little extra element in there. Well, Ron well I knew his that. first name. Cody I, I liked that. I knew his first name. I struggled a little bit with the last name. Uh, but Randall's our winner. 
66, Jeremy 62. I think Stan said 57. And I was last 51, but honestly, I was pretty damn impressed. I got yeah. to 51. By the time I got to the end of that quiz, it was pretty good effort there. Uh, but 69 different Cubs, that is a major league baseball record. And a safe bet that I feel confident making for next year, we will not see 69 different players suit up for the Cubs in 2022. Let's hope not. No, let's hope not 70. Uh, real break the record. Unless the uh, CBA gives us active roster sizes of 50-something. Yeah, know? like the NFL team. Just 53 guys see- in the dugout. 69 different you know, Len, guys. Len Casper was an advocate of that for a number of years. I haven't heard Len since he left the Cubs booth. He was an advocate wow. of that Ooh. in his time. What, what am I doing listening to rights White Sox radio? Like, where's where's the benefit to that? You own a it's a little protest move. Anyway, no more. Len, he, he was he Len. was an advocate of that, of being able to keep 30 or so guys on your roster, but having to declare a game day roster of 25. And I don't think that's a terrible idea at all. We can certainly discuss that over the offseason. But I think I think something like that for an MLB roster is not a terrible idea at all. Randall, would, it's long ago now, but Randall, Randall would never have listened to Wayne Larravee. You'd be very mad oh, about him leaving to go big to the Packers. Big trader. I still hear Wayne Larravee anytime Packers highlights are pulled up. Sure. I'm just like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. And many years calling Cubs games as well. He yeah. uh, he popped in and Bulls. out of that booth many, many times. Uh, a real staple of the Chicago area. And then he went to the bad guys. He went to the and Packers. I've never forgiven him. Wayne Larravee. Well, we wanted to introduce a fun segment here. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. I've been so excited. I mean, I've been dreading the end of the season, but this has been something that I've been looking forward to. Uh, End of the year awards. You've got them for basically every industry, the Grammys for music, the Oscars, Randall's favorite, the Tonys, something he's been watching faithfully for many, many years. Many years. We wanted to introduce a new one, and we were battling with different names. And I want to be honest. I want to give you some credit here, Randall. You had a good one. You considered calling it the Sammies, which almost had me sold. But at least two-thirds of our hosts here agreed on a name that we decided to move forward with, and we are calling this the inaugural Randys. And this award pays tribute to many, many greats over the years. We're thinking about Randy Hunley. We're thinking about Randy Wells. We're thinking about all the Randys that celebrate Chicago Cubs baseball as we welcome our first end-of-the-year Randys. This is our show where we highlight the good the bad and the ugly of 2021. And there was a lot of all of it. So we've got this broken into offensive questions, pitching questions, defensive questions, and overall questions. Then we'll throw some wild cards in at the very, very end. But let's start with offense. Randall says, I'm so offensive. So let's start with that. Randall, you're on the clock here first. 2021, what was your favorite offensive moment? My favorite offensive moment, and this will come up more than a couple times as we go through our awards, I'm going to give the inaugural award to Javi Baez's long walk-off single on July 26th. That was the last time the core won a game together before it was broken up. They won that game. I want to say on a Monday night, the trade deadline was on a Friday. They did not win again that week. And of course that walk-off was off Amir Garrett and Javi had all manner of words and hand gestures to him as he walked down to first after that base hit. So I'll give the inaugural award for favorite offensive moment to Javi Baez's walk-off base hit on July 26th. Good stuff, Randall. What do you got, Jeremy? I'm also going to go with a walk-off moment. That was a good moment, uh, Randall. I'm going to go with the one from early May from Cinco de Mayo, uh, capping off a doubleheader uh, sweep of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I want to give it to a game I was at. Anthony Rizzo off of Garrett Clevinger, 6-5, to five, a uh, mm. extra inning game. 
Um, and you know, Anthony just poking it the opposite way. They had the shift on him. So my favorite offensive moment in 2021 was Anthony winning that ball game against the Dodgers and, you know, just a, a great night all around to be at. That's great. And I love that we all have different answers for this first one. That was kind of the hope here. We shared topics with each other before the show. We didn't share our answers. We're all hearing this live. I'm going to split the difference between both of you. My favorite offensive moment was Javier Baez and it happened in May. So kind of in the middle of both of you guys, it was Pittsburgh, May 27th. The Cubs win five to three. I am talking about the play that he made on the base paths. We've all seen it. It was one of the highlights of the season. It was my favorite offensive moment. Javier Baez gets in a rundown somehow between first base and home plate, a run scores. He ends up well past first base. The Cubs win that ball game. May 27th, really good time to be a Cubs fan. Late May, things were going really well. Two other notes from that game, though, that I wanted to highlight. If you remember, Chris Bryant homered in the first inning of that game. It was a day game, a midweek day game in Pittsburgh. Patrick Wisdom hit his first home run of the season for the Cubs in the game that Javier Baez got in that rundown between first and home. So three of us, three different moments there. That's what we went for our favorite offensive moment. And that leads me into one other point here, but before we do our second offensive question, if we're all in agreement, if we are unanimous on what the moment is or the player or the game, that is awarded a Randy. So that's what we're looking for here. That's how you win a Randy. And the over-under here, Randall, is three and a half. You think we're going to go over or under in agreement on at least three and a half Randys? I think we're going to go under because we have three very disparate minds all contributing here. Ronan, one other note I want to add about your favorite moment, uh, the Baez botched rundown. Yeah. Uh, poor Will Craig, the first baseman who was absolutely mystified. He was out of the Pirates organization by mid-July, uh, and he had to flee to the Korean ba Korea baseball organization. He simply could not stick around any longer and be reminded of the the mistake he made in letting Baez do what he do. I don't, I don't mean to make light of that, but it, it's funny. I hope he can figure it out, maybe get back, but that was something we may never see again. What happened that day in Pittsburgh, May 27th. Here's one I think has some of the highest likelihood of us all agreeing with it. Most memorable home run, Randall, of the 2021 season. Well, I'll give my award here to Rizzo's home run at Wrigley Field after a long at-bat, fouling off pitch after pitch. The first game at Wrigley uh, returned to full capacity. A day game against the Cardinals, the sun shining. Uh, the Cubs were actually wearing their home whites because those uh, Wrigleyville jerseys hadn't quite debuted yet, mm. I don't think. And what does he do? He hits a game-tying home run in a game the Cubs would, Cubs would go on to win against the Cardinals. So I will give my most memorable home run award to Rizzo for his long at bat home run against the Cardinals. Well, we're not going to get uh, Randy on this one. That's a good moment. Also, the day that uh, you know we all found out that Rizzo was not vaccinated, and then everybody was mad at Rizzo, and then he won us all back over <laughs> with a nice home run and a long at bat. But uh, I'm going to give one to a game that you and I were both at, Ronan. I'm going to say early June, I believe it was, against the San Diego Padres. But we ne we all thought the San Diego Padres were a good baseball team at the time. Uh, how little did we actually know? that they are, they were not a good baseball team, but I'm going to say Wilson Contreras is a massive home run 445 feet off of Ryan Weathers to give the Cubs a four to three, basically win or the game winning Homer, the go ahead Homer um, in that game. And a, a huge, you know, after just continuing that huge month uh, building. So I, to me, that was the most memorable Homer. And I was there with you. So exactly. That made it, even it was more a great moment. I appreciate that, Jeremy. I remember the sound of that home run. 
distinctly. And you and I had my favorite seats in the ballpark, upper deck, front section of the upper deck, in between home and third. We were like right on top of it, basically, when it happened. And the Padres were a good team at that time. <laughs> it just didn't end well. So good stuff there. Randall, I'm with you, man. I picked June 11th, Anthony Rizzo, the 14 pitch at bat, the home run. You summed it up really, really nicely there. First game at Wrigley full capacity post-COVID. Cubs Cardinals 120, beautiful day, fall into a big hole early and the Cubs win it. So uh, I was with you there. Most memorable home run, Anthony Rizzo, June 11th. Jeremy went with Wilson a month before. Here's another one offensively. Your most surprising offensive stat could be a player, could be the team, could be a game. Randall, what do you got from 21? My most surprising offensive stat, I'm going to give it to everything Frank Schwindel did mm. uh, in a Cubs uniform. He... You know, I, I went back and forth on this. I said, do I go with Wisdom's home runs or do I go with kind of Schwindel as a uh, as a player? But Wisdom had uh, a couple of 30 home run seasons to his name in the minor leagues. It's not as big of a surprise to see him come to MLB and do that while not doing a whole lot else offensively. Obviously, the high strikeout rate um, and the low walk rate. So I'm going to go with just about everything Frank Schwindel did in a Cubs uniform, a guy who had some minor league offense to his name, but nothing quite like this. And he was able to sustain it for a 50 some game uh, sample in the season, which is almost a third of a full major league season. So I will give my most surprising offensive stat award to everything Frank Schwindel did in a Cubs uniform. Well, I'm going to go with the opposite Randall. I'm, I am going to go with Patrick wisdom's 28 home runs be, just because I think guy came up at the end of may, you know, he never really played and made it in the majors to hit 28 home runs. I set the Cubs rookie record. Uh, you know, anybody can have a decent month. Anybody can have a, you know, decent six weeks. But to go up there for, you know, four months and just continuously just pound the ball. And I don't think anybody would have been surprised. Or I don't think anybody would have expected, excuse me, that that the Cubs rookie record was going to fall in 2021. Yeah. Uh, so Patrick Wisdom for me, he just and he hit some monster homers like he just was, especially that first period of time when he was up that first month when he was rookie of the month. Uh, he, he was just crushing the ball. When and he, he hits them, when he hits them, they stay hit. Yeah, and he had that near home run, if you remember, right. in that igloo Cincinnati. game against the Reds, where it was cold, the wind was blowing in. I was at that one. I thought that may have been the coldest game of the year, Randall. I guess opening day topped it or bottomed it, depending on how you want to look at it. Jeremy, I said 28 home runs for Patrick Wisdom. That, to me, was the most surprising offensive stat this year. Let me add one more number to it. He did that while striking out yeah. 41 of the time the highest of any regular in major league baseball but you know what tip of the cap patrick wisdom what a memorable season you put together i hope he can contribute to the squad next season i'm pulling for patrick wisdom i almost went though with like uh, anthony rizzo finishing sixth on the team in homers like wow. i mean we all know you know obviously when they got traded they weren't going to add anymore but just if you would have gone beginning of the year sixth on the team in homers i don't think anybody would think anthony rizzo would finish sixth we may come back to some offense, but I want to shift gears now to pitching. Randall, what was your favorite single game pitching performance this year? You know, I suspect this is probably going to be our first collective award awarded here. I'm going to go with the obvious, the combined no hitter in Los Angeles, uh, which was kind of unfortunately the beginning of the end because it was all downhill from there. But I will give my favorite single game pitching performance award to the combined no hitter. Jeremy? Uh, we're, you know, I thought about that pretty hard. I thought it was the obvious choice, but to be honest, I actually didn't even see that performance because <laughs> I was at a, in Omaha at a game, uh, watching, I believe Texas versus Virginia. I saw it on the file on my phone 
So I'm going to go with a different one. I'm going to go with one that I thought was just kind of fun. And in the start of the year, you know, coming back where it was a new season, a full season, we even had some fans in the ballpark. And, you know, the first start, I think, for Trevor Williams at Wrigley Field against the Milwaukee Brewers on uh, April 6th, uh, he had his dad in the he had his dad in the ballpark, you know, a hometown Chicago kid. His father grew up at Wrigley Field. And just to see him go out there and dominate the Brewers, unfortunately, he couldn't replicate it throughout the season. He had the appendicitis, but six innings, six strikeouts, two hits, two runs, two walks. I, I thought Trevor, I thought it was an awesome performance and it was a cool, he got the, you know, kind of an ovation coming off from 25% crowd. I was, um, I was at that game. Randall was at that game. He helped. And uh, so I, I, that to me was my favorite pitching performance of the year. And he's a program guy. So I know that gets well, you excited. That, that, that played into it. It goes well. without saying, right? <laughs> we're in complete disagreement here. I'm very worried now that we're going to have any Randy's here. I don't know if we're going to have any Randy's. award. I went with the lone complete game that Cubs pitchers through this year. And it came in a seven inning game. So you can wrestle whether or not that really counts for you. Kyle Hendricks, complete game against the Dodgers on May 4th. Seven innings, one earned run, six strikeouts. Cubs won that ball game seven to one. And in looking at that, I went, goodness, I knew the starting pitching was bad, but it was really bad this year. How about this stat, Randall? The Cubs had zero nine inning complete games for the first time in franchise history. That's a stat I do not want to see replicate next year. No, you know, I went through the game logs as I was picking out my my picks for these awards and single game pitching performance. There's a reason I ended up with a performance that was a combined performance and not one guy's because the individual performances were nothing to write home about. It's a forgettable season in that regard. Well, let's talk about forgettable. Randall, the worst single game pitching performance. Who you got? I will give this award, this ignominious award, to unfortunately Jake Arietta, the infamous start in Milwaukee where he could not hold a 7 nothing lead. He was out of the game early, and that was literally the beginning of the end because, as Jed Hoyer has since said, it was that loss that inspired him to pull the advanced scouts off of scouting for major league players that they might acquire and reassign them to scouting for minor league players that they might acquire in exchange for trading their major league players. So I will give my worst single game pitching performance award to Jake Arietta in the seven nothing blown lead in Milwaukee. Well, I, I think we got a chance for a Randy here. I don't know what's coming up, but uh, I'm also going to give it to Jake Arietta in Milwaukee. Just blowing a seven. I remember even texting the group being like, can Jake Arrieta hold a seven run lead? And the answer was no, sadly, no. And that was the moment. It was, you know, they had a chance, really. If they could have won that game, it wouldn't. They, they could have stemmed the tide. It wouldn't have been terrible. You know, you, you put your finger in the dike there. It would have been a horrible situation after that losing streak. You could have come back from that. You It's against the Brewers. So it's a, every game's like a two game swing. Um but they just couldn't hold on. And it was just a horrible performance. Unfortunately, we got, we saw Jake have a bunch of them. And so I got to give it to Jake Arietta there. Well, we're close guys. It's like a Rand, but not quite a Randy. It is oh, Jake no. Arietta. I picked a different start. July 6th versus the Phillies at Wrigley field gives up the grand slam to Kutch in the first inning. He's out of the game by the second inning, seven earned runs and in fewer than two innings. He'd make just three more starts as a cub. The other reason why I picked that game, the Cubs lost that game, by the way, 15 to 10. Yeah. Joe West, home plate umpire for Jake Arrieta getting blown up at Wrigley. You, 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 I think you guys have the better pick there, the game that was more of a gut punch. But that game, things were really getting away from the Cubs by July 6th. 
And it was over before the Cubs came up to bat. And that happened, unfortunately, multiple times this year. But seeing Kutch at this stage in his career, hitting the slam off Arietta, knowing that there was no turning back with Jake, that did it for me. So we're all in agreement with Jake. We just had different days for it. Um, slightly a different perspective here, not single game performance. In your perspective, Randall, who was the Cubs' most valuable pitcher this year? None other than Craig Kimbrell, easily the best pitcher on the staff. A lot of fun watching him work. We've talked at length about how his Cubs tenure was tumultuous at times. He struggled a lot. He came in in odd circumstances when he signed. And in his second season, watching him pitch this year was easily the joy of the pitching staff. Watching him go out there and spot 97, 98, 99 on the corner and then put batters away with that knuckle curve. Uh, Kimbrell is my pick for most valuable pitcher in the 2021 season. Well, maybe this one we have a chance for, Randy, because I'm also going to go with Craig Kimbrell, um, not just for his performance on the field, but also for the fact that he brought back Cody Hoyer and Nick Madrigal. So he's obviously pretty valuable, um, you know, so he was out there. He, he, as Randall said, he was dominant watching him get back to uh, a dominant pitcher. You know, it's a little sad. Like we saw with you Darvish. I, I, we didn't even really get to see dominant you Darvish out there. At least I got to see dominant Craig Kimbrell going to the ballpark and seeing it before he was gone. Um, but, you know, he was very dominant. He was awesome. He, when he closed out that perfect, or excuse me, no hitter, it was pretty funny because he had no idea what was even going on. Um, but you know, Craig, I, you got to give it to Craig guys. We did it. We got a Randy here, yes. Craig Kimbrell, the Cubs most valuable pitcher this year, according to fan graphs, 2.2 F war earned run average under 0.5 K rate around 45%, just truly dominant. When he came into the ball game, it was over. And it was kind of satisfying to see that Craig Kimber. We didn't get it the whole time he was in Chicago, but we got a taste of it here. Some fun wins in there. And to your point, Jeremy, he brought back some players that'll be a part of the next great Chicago Cubs team. So fare thee well, Craig Kimbrell, although I'm not wishing you a ton of success. I'm wishing him success. I'm not wishing his team success here in the playoffs. What do you got? One, thing, one thing the 2020 Cubs did excel at is guys I would have liked to see on good Cubs teams. Jock Peterson, full of personality. I think he would have been fun on a good team. Craig Kimbrell, untouchable. Andrew Chafin, what yeah. more can you say? I think he would have been really fun on uh, the 2015 or 2016 team. So that's one thing the 2021 Cubs excelled at is guys I would have liked to see on better Cubs teams. Well, we got a good chance of being in agreement on this one. And the next two questions here, I kind of want to put it out there just so we're clear. The first question here is who was the Cubs least most valuable pitcher? And then the one after that, and we'll get to it after we all answer the first one, who was your least favorite pitcher? Not necessarily the same thing. Randall, who was the Cubs' least most valuable pitcher this season? I had to go between three names on this one, but I settled on Jake Arrieta for least valuable pitcher. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Randall. I settled on Jake Arrieta for least valuable pitcher. I mean, he basically, I mean, that one, like we said, as Randall said, that start basically moved us to, uh, you know, look at uh, as sellers at the trade deadline. And it wasn't, and you pointed out Philadelphia, I was at a game against Miami in late June where they just blew every, it seemed like every time Jake was in the game, the other team would get four runs in the first inning or just, it, it would start off like with a dribbler. And then next thing you know, they're hitting the ball hard. Um, so I, he was just bad, unfortunately. And that's all you can say. Yep. 
We got our second Randy, folks. Jake Arrieta, unfortunately, the Cubs' least most valuable pitcher. And it bothers me because go back to the first couple of episodes of this podcast. You heard me saying, I didn't want this. I don't want Jake on the Cubs. They don't want to see a bad Jake Arrieta pitching in front of a half-empty Wrigley Field with a bad Cubs team. And what did Tom Ricketts give us? Just that. So the least most valuable pitcher for the Cubs, Jake Arrieta. We suddenly... I got a whole bunch of Randys here, so things are firing up here. Rand, a little bit different. Who was your least favorite pitcher for the Cubs this season? Again, I had to go between a couple of different names. I thought about putting Eric Sogard in the spot, given that he had to appear as a pitcher in a couple of games, but I felt like that would be against the spirit of the award. So I went with Dan Winkler, who was just a, a stressful watch every time he came into a game. Even when he went one, two, three, it didn't feel like he had any control of the game. So I will list Dan Winkler as my nominee for the award for least favorite pitcher. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with Dan Winkler, but I, I'm going to go once again with Jake Arrieta, being my <laughs> least favorite pitcher. Um, he was bad. Uh, he his post game press conferences weren't doing him any favors. Uh, I love Jake. I, I. The 2015 season was amazing. The 2016 season, the postseason, I'm not gonna hold. I'm not gonna hold it against him for his Cubs career. I would love to see him come back. And the Cubs not on the mound, but you know maybe on the mound and throw the first pitch. But in other circumstances, to be around the Cubs, but just this year, it was just frustrating. Just frustrating listening to him, um, saying some things that he probably shouldn't have been saying. Um, just you know, just I, it was kind of like a good riddance by the time he was gone, which is unfortunate, as you said, because we love Jake in terms of what he did for the Cubs. So to have that that opinion of of a guy that you you hold so dear in your heart for what he did for these Cubs teams to be like good riddance when he leaves is unfortunate. But that's just how it was. Twenty twenty one, Jake Arrieta, I'll probably strike from the mind, and I will just keep intact my memories of twenty fourteen, uh, twenty thirteen, really through twenty yeah. uh. Uh, eight, uh, 17, eight, 18, Jake Arrieta. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I get went against the spirit of the rule here. I went with Eric Sogard. <laughs> why. There are a couple pitchers I didn't like for the Cubs this year. I, I didn't particularly like Zach Davies. I didn't want him. He didn't pitch particularly well, but I, I don't have any personal issues with him. I didn't like Eric Sogard. I didn't hate him as much as Randall did. But here's the thing about Eric Sogard pitching. Sometimes when a position player pitches for your team, it's kind of fun. Think about Anthony Rizzo striking out Freddie Freeman. Fun moment. You can celebrate that even in a bad year. There was nothing enjoyable about, about watching Eric Sogard pitch for the Cubs. It meant they were getting blown out. It meant that Eric Sogard was still on the roster. None of that was fun. So I went against the spirit of the question here, Randall. And I picked Eric Sogard as my least favorite pitcher this season. But some interesting names there, certainly, from the three of us. Randall, you get a free shot here at Sogard if you want it. Are you passing? Well, no, I'm, just... I'm not passing. Sogard will get my ire later down the line. Okay. <laughs> I've, got, I've got plenty of Sogard I'm surprised here. at how quiet and, and just, I don't know, I've got, I've got plenty of Sogard. Go. I've got plenty of Sogard uh, in some of the later awards here. He will get his, I'm sure. Not good. his, not his shot, like his, his ire from me. He will not get his shot. Well, we talked offense. We've talked pitching. I get the pun there, Randall, that he won't get the shot. Uh, let's talk defense here for a minute. A couple years ago, two seasons ago, that COVID season, defense was a major strength for this team. A couple of gold glove winners, team gold glove awards. So let's start on a positive note. What was your favorite defensive play this year, Randall? My favorite defensive play this year, Nico Horner playing second base in a game against the Washington Nationals at Wrigley. Andrew Chafin was on the mound. The bases were loaded, and Starlin Castro, prior to his uh, terrible off-the-field troubles, 
was at the plate and Castro lined one uh, into the hole on the right side of the infield. Nico Horner made a diving sliding stop. He threw to first for the out that ended the inning and ended a nationals threat. Andrew Chafin was animated on the mound. He points at Nico and later, later on, after Nico made a, a similar play the next night, Chafin was like, we got a two-man game going here. All I need is Nico and all I need is Nico and me. So I'll give my favorite defensive play award to Nico Horner playing defense behind Andrew Chafin in the game against the Nationals. Yeah, I picked, a good the, one. I picked the same. I picked Nico against the Nationals. I'm, I'm not exactly sure which one now I picked. Uh, I'm just going from memory. But, I, uh, you know, with Chafin on the mound, him just making a couple of diving stops that were incredible. Um, Nico, hopefully we get to see that Nico next year. I, you know, I thought yeah. it was kind of funny. I think it was Gordo or Wittenmeyer asked, uh, uh, Jed at the press conference, whether Nico was, uh, too swole. He didn't use that, those words, but whether he was too swole to, uh, whether he was too built for his position, whether he should come back next year, a little bit lighter, not as jacked and, you know, cause he was, and whether that was hurting him and trying to stay on the field, but, uh, you know, Nico made some great plays and hopefully he can yeah. stay on the field more often next year. You know, I thought about it, thought about going the Nico route, but I wanted to give one tip of the cap here to Javier Baez. Maybe not just because of this year, but I'm just so appreciative of everything we've seen from him in a Cubs uniform going back to 2014. He made a diving stop June 20th, a game against the Marlins. John Birdie was the batter, forced a runner out at second, closed out the inning. It was one of those last truly memorable or great defensive plays from Javi. And it wasn't maybe the most exciting game of the year, but that's a play that you can look back on and go, goodness, maybe we took for granted a little bit the remarkable plays and the highlight real plays that he made day in and day out in his time in Chicago. So I went with Javi June 20th. Do you remember that either of you? I know it's sort of a random defensive play from a game, but it was absolutely spectacular in short left field diving for the ball and then firing a strike to second. I'm, do, I'm trying I do to recall that play place. Was it what, what day of the week was that game? I mean, it was a weekend, obviously. Was it was it the a Friday or was game. it the Saturday? Yeah, I, so much that's a good I was at the Sunday yeah. game. I don't remember the don't uh, really day remember. of the week, June 20th. was. Oh, I, well, the Friday night, yeah. it was the Friday day game, excuse me. And then, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just I saw the clip, too, and the sun was shining. It looked like a beautiful day out there at the friendly confines. Here's my favorite category name. Biggest boner, Randall. What was the Cubs' biggest defensive boner this year? Well, Ronan, you know how much this podcast loves talking about big boners. I will give that award <laughs> to a two-run error in the aforementioned Milwaukee debacle. It was actually E1. Jake Arrieta made the throwing error to Patrick Wisdom playing first base for Rizzo that day. It made a 7-3 game, 7-5. We all know what would happen after that. There were, so, there were a lot of defensive miscues this season, but so many of them came after the trade deadline when you had guys like Alcantara playing shortstop every day. No knock on Alcantara. Got a great arm, and I think he's got decent range. He's not Javi. Nobody is. So I had to pick one that I thought came while the Cubs felt like they were still in competition. So I will give my, yes, biggest boner award to Jake Arietta's two-run error in the aforementioned uh, 7 nothing uh, blown lead in Milwaukee. Jeremy, what do you got? Well, for this one, I, uh, I kind of went against the spirit of the question. Um, so for biggest boner, you know, Avi didn't make a lot of errors earlier this year. There were some other guys that had some issues, but uh, I did not give it to a Cub. I, I just thought the boner was just so big. They had to give it out. And we already mentioned it earlier in this in this podcast. I had to give it out to Will Craig just because even though it was a Cubs game, it wasn't okay. a Cubs player, but just that was just too big of a boner. And so I had to give it to Will Craig. And he, you know, Javi broke his brain, I guess, on that play. 
And I, I just, it was the biggest boner I saw all year. So I had to give it. <laughs> the boner was so big. It forced Will Craig out of the country. That's how big the boner was. I, I was wondering where you were going with that, Jeremy. I was thinking about that game against Pittsburgh late in the year where they misplayed the ball and the Cubs got yes. the win. But you went uh, with uh, the other route a couple months before that. Um, I went with, unfortunately, the same guy that got my favorite defensive player of the year. I gave it to Javier Baez. The date was July 19th. The hobby made errors on back-to-back plays. The Cubs made three errors in one inning and four errors in an 8-3 loss to the Cardinals at Bush Stadium. Just a couple days later, everybody's traded and gone. So I went with Hobby for my favorite defensive play of the year and my biggest boner of the year, that uh, frightful day there, the 8-3 loss at Bush Stadium on July 19. Here's a happier one, Randall. Who's your team defensive MVP this year? Who could possibly win this award but Javi himself? One of the most exciting defensive players we've seen. I know he made a, a disproportionate number of errors this year, but when he makes when he makes a highlight real play, it's one you remember forever. I will give my team defensive MVP award to former Cub and maybe future Cub someday, Javi Baez. Well, I I, I did not give it to Javi. I I just thought he he just seemed off this year. It just wasn't it? You know, he had so many errors and. Just everything seemed off with him. But I, I did give it to a guy who we haven't mentioned yet. And I think we need to mention at some point, even though his defense may not be the best, and he may not have even been an above average defender at any of these spots, but he just had so much versatility and was able to play all across yep. the field and it made him so valuable that I'm yep. gonna give it to Chris Bryant. I just think he just had so much to um this year where he was just so flexible and valuable and, and being able to play in all different spots that I, I make him my defensive MVP because he was you were able to put him in the lineup you know, get other guys in the lineup because you could put them anywhere. Jack of all trades, really. Jeremy, that's a that's a good call. A third baseman by trade who had more starts at other positions than he did at third base uh, for a while. So that's a good call. No pitching, no catching from KB, but he's my team MVP because he played everywhere else and he played everywhere else effectively while, at least while he was on the team, being one of the best hitters for the Cubs. So I'm with you, Jeremy. Team MVP, Chris Bryant, Randall, you give it to Javi. Who was the... Worst defensive player this year for the Cubs, Randall. I think I know where you're going with this. All right, Ronan, you wanted Sogard and you get Sogard. Um, you know, you, you can go a lot of different routes. The Cubs are playing a lot of guys who maybe don't have business in a major league lineup. Um, in, in the later part of the season, I could have given this to uh, Andrew Romine. I'm going to give it to Eric Sogard, though, because when he makes a defensive miscue, you just have to sit there and wonder, what do you do on this team? You're not hitting. <laughs> you're not hitting. And if you're not able to make the routine plays, why precisely are you around? I will give my worst defensive player award to former Cub and I hope never future Cub again, Eric Sogard. Jeremy? Yeah, I'm going to give it to a guy that uh, didn't spend a lot of time on the Cubs, unfortunately. I actually like, we mentioned him. I, I like this guy a lot. But uh, I thought Jock Peterson had a lot of issues out in left field. I, I thought he, he struggled to adapt early on to Wrigley. Um, you know, it was cold when he was here uh, for the most part. So he, there were some issues he had in left field. So I'm going to give it to Jock. I, I just thought he didn't play well in the field. And I like Jock. I wish he was around longer. I wish we had a competitive team with Jock on it. But uh, I, I thought he struggled a lot in left field. That's a good one, Jeremy. I actually sided with Randall on this. Uh, had that Sogard 
hate, I guess, the two of us here. But that's a good pick with Jock. So I also went with Eric Sogard. He just really didn't bring anything to the Cubs this year. And goodness, he just didn't go away, too. We kind of <laughs> thought when they broke camp with him, it's like, okay, first time somebody comes back, Sogard's going to go. And then when it felt like maybe it was time for him to go, Duffy goes down with the injury. He just kind of found a way to stick around. So my worst defensive player this year, Eric Sogard. Um, let's step back here. Overall, Randall, 2021, bad season for the Cubs. Uh, as we talked about, a 90-plus loss season for the team. That said, let's be optimistic here. What was your favorite moment of the 2021 season? Well, my favorite moment has already been nominated for an award tonight. I'm going to go back to Baez's walk-off single on July 26, because, again, it was the last time that the group of Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, all being on the team and all winning a game, they would not win again until after the trade deadline. Baez walking it off, telling Amir Garrett uh, where he was welcome to shove it and a couple of other choice suggestions. So I will pick for my favorite moment Javi Baez's walk-off single against the Reds on July 26th. All right. Uh, I didn't really pick a moment per se. I just more picked my favorite game, which would be the 2 nothing win on Sunday night on June 13th, that first weekend against the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, being out there with Ryan in the bleachers, it was just an amazing experience. It was an awesome experience, 100% capacity for the first time experiencing it for me that year. Um, it was just fun. It just seemed like everything was open. Everything, it was limitless. The sky was the limit. Everything was going good. And so uh, that was my favorite moment of the year, I guess. Yeah, that's good stuff, Jeremy. I'm in the same spirit with you there. A game that we've talked about already. I just picked two games before it, June 11th. That's the day the Cubs had the five-run deficit to open up the ball game. They came back. They beat the Cardinals. And two things there. Obviously, Rizzo having the historic at-bat, but just full capacity, Wrigley Field. After the pandemic, the shortened season last year. When I say after the pandemic, I don't mean it's over. Unfortunately, we've got some of that in front of us still, and, and unfortunately, more and more Americans are going to pass away because of this thing. But it was a return to normalcy. It was, a, uh, I think, a, a very positive sign in June to see a full capacity at Wrigley Field. And what better way to do that than Cubs-Cardinals, the only day game in baseball, and you come back and you beat your arch nemesis, a team that would end up making the playoffs. So my favorite moment was just that first game, Wrigley Field, fans back in there. I feel very fortunate that I got to Wrigley Field three times this year, and I got to see three wins at Wrigley Field this year, but I didn't get a full house. And I haven't been at a full house in Wrigley Field now for a couple of years. So something to look forward to next season. But Jeremy, we're on the same page. Not there. sure you'll get one next that. season either. <laughs> well, I, oh, they'll, they'll certainly sell out some games. You know, your Cardinals yeah, coming into town. Like There's going to be enough of that. But I understand what you're saying. It's not going to be maybe 40,000 every day at the friendly confines. But I was in the ballpark when it was still – Jeremy, that Padres series, they bumped it up. How much capacity did we get? Was it like I think 30%? it was 60. No, it was oh, like 60%. Okay. Well, goodness, it doesn't feel like 60% when you got all these seats empty next to you. But still, I'm ready for a full house again. And and I remember that day, too, just sitting here at home. I was like, man, I'd do anything to be at Wrigley Field right now in that ballpark. And then Rizzo did what he did. So those are our favorite moments of the season. Uh, two more here, and then we'll kind of throw some wild cards out there. Randall, who was your team MVP 2021? I'm going to give my team MVP award to Wilson Contreras, the last remaining member of this core. He sees all of his World Series teammates 
being traded away. He's left behind with Jason Hayward, Kyle Hendricks, and the cast of characters coming up from Iowa. And he still goes out there and he still plays his heart out because Wilson Contreras has one speed and that speed is go. So, you know, it would have been real easy for him to kind of shut down and just kind of play out the string. But Wilson doesn't play that way. I will give my team MVP award to Wilson Contreras. Yeah, I agree with uh, Randall. I gave it to Wilson Contreras as well. I just thought he was here the whole year. Um, as Randall said, he went out there while, you know, he still played hard while everybody was gone. Um, unfortunately, he was hurt kind of more towards the end of the season. I don't maybe that was some of him just trying to get out of games. But, uh, you know, I, I gave it to Wilson. He, he had a solid year, uh, you know, and it was a tough trying year for everybody. So I, I give it to him. You know, we were talking earlier in the show about a changing of the guard here. Co- members of the coaching staff are going on. I think we maybe are seeing that, too, with some of the players. And that's why I picked Wilson Contreras as the team MVP. That's our fourth Randy of the show here Hit today. The over. What I was thinking about with Wilson, you know, just before the players got traded, kind of went to the media and he threw some of his teammates under the bus. Yep. And he basically said, Javi and I play the game a certain yeah. way. You felt like he was maybe throwing darts at Anthony and some of the other players in the lineup. And then he survived the purge here at the end of July. And when Frank Schwindel was going off at the end of the year and Patrick Wisdom was on his historic season, Wilson talked about sort of the pleasure of playing with those guys and celebrating real legitimate accomplishments these guys are having and trying to be there and support them along the way. I want to see Wilson Contreras get extended. I want this guy to be a pillar of the next great Cubs team. And I thought he embodied all of it under a very, very difficult circumstance this year. So we're in agreement. Team MVP for the Cubs this year, Wilson Contreras. We'll tip our caps to that. How about this one, Randall? Team LVP, who is the least valuable player for the 2021 Cubs? Well, there's absolutely no suspense to this reveal. I will give Eric Sogard yet another award nomination. He gets my team least valuable player award. Can't hit, can't field, brings down the vaccination percentage on the team, actively continues broadcasting misinformation by way of his family. Eric Sogard, what do you do here? The answer is nothing. Be gone, stay gone. Eric Sogard, team least valuable player. Jeremy, who was your LVP? Well, I'm going to make it a clean sweep for all my L's pretty much. I'm going to go with Jake Arrieta once again. Uh, <laughs> I think that Jake Arrieta just had a terrible year. It was just awful. I mean, we actually counted on him to be a huge part of the season. I mean, one thing you can say about uh, Eric Sogard, I guess, and unfortunately he was put in positions where he had to play often because of injuries, but he was never really counted on to be like a major contributor. With Jake Arrieta, he was counted on to be a major contributor. He's going to be right smack dab in the middle of the rotation. He, he had an important part. There was, you know, he could, you could argue two or three in that rotation and he just, you know, bought the farm on it. You know, he was terrible. And like I said, he was, he wasn't good off the field. He wasn't good on the field. Uh, he was my, he was brought in for some leadership. He, he was my LVP. All right. All right. So some different names there. I got another name to throw out there. This guy was so unvaluable that I forgot about him when I was answering the end of the season Uh, who played for the Cubs. I went with Tony Walters, the former Colorado Rocky. He had a very, very short stint on the north side, just 14 games with the team, had negative war in that time, and he would have really competed with Patrick Wisdom, not for the home run title, but for the K rate. He was at 40% in his 14 games with the Cubs. Tony Walters, to me, was my least valuable Cub this season. Um, So these were some of the ideas and topics and areas that we, before this show, Agreed we were going to talk about it. Gave us time to kind of look back on box scores. Jeremy, though, who's always plotting and planning, 
said he had a couple more percolating in his head, and I think he wanted them to be a little more in the moment, just things that kind of come to you where our natural reaction is going to come out, something that we're not thinking to. So, Jeremy, kick us off here. What do you got for us? Well, I just want to go back for Tony Wolters, but at the very start, was not only just to talk about how least valuable Tony Wolters was, this is a guy who came up kind of as like a second baseman and converted to catcher, but like, you know, when they brought up P.J. Higgins, I remember David Ross saying, well, we like P.J. Higgins because he gives us versatility to also play the infield, which is what Tony Walters was like the main thing you had him for. So, like, that wasn't there. But for me, you know, I wanted to give some out some other Randys. So I'm going to give a Randy, you know, uh, this is a more of a personal Randy. Um, I'm going to give a Randy for the guy who has the best voice memos. And I'm going to give it to our pal Ronan right here. I thought he did a great job all year long with the voice memos. I thought he was in there and up there with everything. I thought he really captured the essence of certain things. And I, I, I did, you know, I thought it was very important. And then for another, I, I, Randy, I got a response wanna, to that. Hold on. We can't let that sit. Just so folks understand what we're talking about. We have a chat, the three of us, we're all uh, iPhone users. So we're able to send these voice messages and uh, stickies and, hand drawings and there's a lot of things that i said to randall at all hours of the night um i like the voice memos and i'll say this the voice memos really ramped up during the pandemic and i think it was a precursor to this podcast it's absolutely a precursor to this podcast (laughs) because you love hearing yourself talk and you love hearing me respond to you hearing yourself talk you you conceived the idea of a podcast as you're doing your 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 voices into your voice memo you said to yourself hey we should do this in long form weekly so yes that is absolutely where the idea of a podcast originated (laughs) for good or for ill you know, and the thing also that I used to do trivia where yeah. I'd find some totally random, obscure trivia questions and I'd ask it via voice memo. And I would always say in the voice memo, in order to submit your response, you have to record a voice memo. Jeremy would always record it. Give me his answer. Randall, without question, would type it out. And when no I'd chance. ask him to record it, no chance. Absolutely not. Complete non-starter. So we created this podcast. Now we've got hours and hours and hours. Hours of Randall of footage. J. Sanders. <laughs> or not footage, recording. Uh, so that's a good one. What else do you have? I, I had another one. I, I want to give out a Randy for the best Randall, I guess not of the year, of, of over a year, because I want to give one out to Randall for agreeing to do this pod and Excellent. getting him to doing it. And I, I he's put up with a lot. And he's been with us the whole time. And he's really, he's put a, obviously a tremendous amount of work and effort into doing it, hosting a bunch. And so I want, and, and listening to all of us. So I, I want to give uh, uh, my Randy to Randall and uh, you know, an appreciative Randy for uh, agreeing to do this with us. Cause I think it's been fun. And I, I, and I hope we continue to do it for a long time. I appreciate your appreciative Randy, Jeremy. Thank you. Jeremy, do you have another one? Cause that no, one just kind of popped into my mind the, here. Go for it, man. So this one is named in honor of Randall J. Sanders. This is the double bird. And I want you guys both to kind of think about it. I'll start with one of my own. And then I want you both to think about it. If I could give a double bird to one person surrounding the 2021 baseball season, the person I would give it to is Colorado Rockies owner, Dick Monfort. And the reason there's a million reasons why I could do it. But the thing that set me off, if you want to, if you want to simply think about how cheap an owner can be and how little an owner can think of a fan base. I think this sums it up perfectly. You go to Coors Field to a baseball game. It costs $6 to get sunscreen at Coors Field. There are no free options to get sunscreen inside 
Coors Field. Here's my thought on that. What is the difference between sunscreen and having free water stands? If the government did not require Dick Monfort to have a certain number of water fountains around the ballpark, he would not do it, and he would only sell bottles of water for six, seven, eight dollars. We're at elevation. There's very little shelter in the ballpark. Sun damage is a very serious thing. There's a lot of kids, elderly folks, things like that at the ballpark. The fact that you cannot go into Coors Field, get a little bit of sunscreen to protect yourself or your kids, and it costs $6 to buy it, to me is a double middle finger to fans all around baseball. The least you could do, Dick Monfort, to pretend to care about these fans is at least offer some free sunscreen. And here's the thing. I got no problem with teams making money. If you want to also sell sunscreen, like teams also sell bottles of water, no complaints. But I think it's a health, safety, and ethical issue to provide free sunscreen to fans in the ballpark. And the fact that he doesn't do it captures the greed, the selfishness, the lack of empathy that he has for the two-plus million people that go to Coors Field. They finished top seven in baseball this year in attendance, and he can't have a couple of kiosks to make sure people don't damage their skin. Dick Monfort. You get the Randall J. Sanders Award, the double bird from me. Yeah, the the stolen uh, Eli Manning Award. I, I just want to, I think, I don't, we'll put this up to a vote, but I, I think for future podcasts, we need to really make sure to uh, carve out, have a special segment, uh, carve out for Randall's, or Randall's, Ronan's uh, Dick Monfort hate minute, because <laughs> it seems like that's becoming a continuous theme of the podcast. So we'll just give one minute a carve out where Ronan can bitch about Dick Monfort. Yeah. It's just, it's so <laughs> shitty to me that you don't have that available. I just don't see the difference between having a couple of water stands where you can at least go get some free water and taking care of your fans, particularly here. Like you can get sunburn anywhere. We're one mile up in the air. The sun is brutal here and there's no shade at Coors Field. So to me, it's just like, it, it captures the Rockies perfectly. They'll do anything to make a buck. They could not care less about the people once they get in that ballpark. And I, I, I don't like Dick Monfort. I got a lot of reasons not to like him. That one really kind of set me off. It grinds your gears. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's fair. That's fair. The, the Dick Monfort double bird. Randall, do you have a double bird to uh, hand off this year? Uh, you know, I'll just give my double bird to the Cardinals. Uh, that's not an award. That's just kind of what I do when somebody mentions the Cardinals. It's a reflex at this point. I do have an award that I would like to bring up, and I'm going to call this the Dusty Baker Broken Toothpick Award, named for what I feel is the poorest managerial decision this year. You know, Ross, he's still kind of finding his way as an in-game manager. This isn't this isn't a decision to use a certain reliever or use a pinch hitter. I'm going to give the Dusty Baker Broken Toothpick Award to David Ross for not getting Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant that one last at-bat at Wrigley prior to the trade deadline. You remember both of those players yeah. were held out of their last game at Wrigley. And I understand it on some level. You don't want somebody to blow something out, running down to first or get hit by a pitch, break a hand. And then you've got all sorts of plans, deals that were probably being finished at that moment that all of a sudden fall apart. But my goodness, you got to find some way. You got to find some way to yeah. get those two players and their importance the, the ability to get one last ovation at Wrigley. Brian had to wait till he came back with the Giants. Rizzo, who knows when he'll be back at Wrigley. He could sign with a team that does not play at Wrigley in 2022. You got to do something to get those players their ovation. That Ross didn't do that. It never sat right with me. So David Ross, I have no major issues with you, but I'm going to give you the Dusty Baker Broken Toothpick Award for not getting Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo final at-bats at Wrigley. Yeah, that I like that, Randall. And, you know, maybe there was some direction from the front office, like, hey, we're working on trading these guys. 
maybe don't put him in, um, but agreed. I think it robbed the fans of that moment. And it's one thing to see him come back in a different team's uniform, give him a standing ovation. They deserve one more chance at Wrigley to maybe hit one out and, and, you know, get cheered as they run around the bases. Uh, one more sort of top of mind question came to me before I do that. Any more from you, Jeremy Randall, do you have any others to throw out? Yeah, I do have one. Uh, I call this the Ron Santo award. Ron oh. Santo loved his players and, you know, Santo broadcast baseball during a lot of, a lot of bad baseball. And he still had his favorite players. I think Ron Santo would have loved Trank Schwindel coming out of nowhere to rake for the final 50 games of a lost season. I think Santo would have enjoyed that kind of as his motivation. Cause you know, Santo, he could, uh, he could kind of get lost sometimes if he didn't have Pat Hughes to stir, to steer him back on track. I think Frank Schwindle would have been one of his guys. Mike Fontenot was one of Santo's guys. I think Frank Schwindle would have been one of Santo's guys. So I'm going to give my Ron Santo award. I'm going to call it the G whiz Patrick award to, <laughs> to Frank Schwindle. Any thoughts on that, Jeremy? Uh, I, I, the G whiz Patrick award should go to Patrick wisdom. Hmm. Yeah, I think both of those that's guys. That's the only I think that's both of those that guys. in my head. You know what? That's, that's a good head. call. I think both of those guys would have been of the winner of the G-Wiz Patrick Award. I think both of those guys would have been loved by Ron Santo, and um, I think he would have been pretty happy last night, too, seeing the Cardinals get yep. knocked out of the postseason. And the Mets just tanking. The last one that I was thinking about here, that's a good point. Yeah, the Mets just falling apart at the end and sending one of their best prospects and to Theo the Theo saying no. Yeah, and then Theo not, not wanting to go there. The, the other thing I was thinking about, and I'll give you guys a chance to reflect on this, We've all been to baseball games this year. Was there something that you remember from this year that you can say, well, that's the first time I've ever seen that or the first time I've ever experienced that that's notable. And the one that I'll share, and this is a little bit of a cop out because this is such a unique event. I was very fortunate this year to attend the major league baseball futures game and the major league baseball all-star game at Coors field. I don't know how many times in my life I'm going to be in a ballpark for a major league baseball all-star game and it really dawned on me, like, how many great players I saw in July here at Coors Field. The Otanis, the Vlad Juniors, you know, Soto, all the Tatis, all the guys that you see normally in the National League, but those great American League stars as well. First time I got to see Aaron Judge in person. So that one, as I look back on this year, I saw three wins at Wrigley Field. I saw a whole bunch of wins and losses and weird things at Coors Field. But I got to see a Major League Baseball All-Star game and a Futures game for the first time. And it just so happened that in that Futures game, the Cubs' top prospect wins MVP and hits a couple of home runs. So for me, when I look back on 2021, lukewarm on some of the Cubs' moments, but very, very special as a baseball fan to take in history like that and to see some Cubs get in the spotlight. That was fun. Yeah, definitely. For me, I, I don't know. It was just a weird year. Uh, seven, eight games, 25% capacity at certain points. So I guess when I would look back, I would just, you know, thinking about, the seat next to me having a zip tie across it. Not nobody able to sit next <laughs> there or whatever. So I, it was just a weird year. Those are things, obviously, I never really thought would happen. Yeah. Randall, what do you got? You know, my first time back at Wrigley, having in, back in April, having not been there since September of 2019, just how good it felt to be back. How good it felt to be watching a live sporting event from inside the venue. How good it felt to be shouting the usual nonsense I do and the, the clapping and the, the shouting and the all that that I do at ball games. It just felt, it felt so natural. It felt so good to be back after the, the last year and a half that we've all endured. And that that's, that's what stuck with me. Um, and also being comfortable in the bleachers. Uh, yeah. my, one, my one game in the bleachers was when the ballpark was still at 25% capacity. I've said this before, the causes obviously are terrible, but if you're going to see a game in the bleachers at Wrigley, 
um, with everything being distanced and in pods, that's kind of the way to do it because that's, that's a real comfortable experience out there when there's nobody to the left of you, to the right of you, behind you, or in front of you. Yeah, and, and hopefully we don't get, though, a whole lot of that. I like when Rigby's packed. It's kind of nice to breathe a little bit in the ballpark, but 40,000 people, full house, playoff games, that's, that's what I'm ready for. That's certainly where I want this to go. Um, but a memorable season, certainly. And this is the first Cubs season We're behind the yellow line, tracked everything. And we're going to keep this going all off season, all into next season as well. Uh, covered a lot of losses this year. The hope is there's plenty more W's coming. Um, let's step back, though, from the Cubs here. Just a couple more minutes to go here on this podcast, which means we got another hour or so. Uh, <laughs> let's talk Major League Baseball playoffs for a minute. Uh, two wildcard games behind us. Red Sox top the Yankees 6-2. to two. You know, all this talk, Randall, since Dex left town, the Cubs don't have a leadoff hitter. So here we got two historic teams, Fenway Park, the leadoff hitter for the Yankees, Anthony Rizzo, the leadoff hitter for the Boston Red Sox, Kyle Schwarber, and they both homer in the game. Sox win it 6-2. to two. Uh, You watched that game the other night, Randall. Uh, pretty fun. Low sweat for us as Cubs fans. How about those ex-Cubs knocking the ball out of the ballpark? Boy, you know what? When Kyle Schwarber went deep off Garrett Cole again, I was absolutely cackling because that is funny as shit. Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole goes nothing. Garrett Cole goes to all the trouble of getting traded out of Pittsburgh. He ends up in Houston and then he goes signs goes and signs in New York for enough money to keep his family wealthy for the next two centuries or so. And there's Kyle Schwarber with no neck and that that face of his. You all know what I mean by Schwarber's face just lands right in front of him and goes deep into right field again. It's no matter where you go, you can run, but you can't hide Garrett. I enjoyed uh, Jets giving it to the media a little bit uh, and uh, them all, you know, bitching about putting Kyle in the leadoff spot and him and say, hey, it didn't work, but clearly it works because yeah. he's been a monster this year in the leadoff spot and it wasn't just like a bad idea. Uh, but yeah, you know, another Cub bites of dust though and Anthony Rizzo, neither New York team really going doing anything. So Rizzo's out, Baez is out. We'll see how uh, KB plays in San Francisco. But, uh, you know, Kyle moving on and and uh, it'll be interesting to see what Cubs go where, because, you know, it wasn't a long time ago when the ex-Cub factor used to be a thing. If a team had like more than three ex-Cubs or three ex-Cubs, that, that everybody would say that team couldn't win until I believe the Diamondbacks broke that curse in 2001. Uh, so now that every team's got an ex-Cub and, and maybe that's a good thing. Well, I was really happy for both Kyle Schwarber, the Hoosier, and Anthony Rizzo uh, to excel in that moment. And uh, I'm pulling for the Red Sox here. Uh, I want to see him beat the Rays, and, and I hope Schwarber can get a deep playoff run. That's a guy who would be a very compelling piece on the Chicago Cubs next year, especially with the expectation of a DH coming to the National League. So maybe his return to Chicago is something that we can look forward to. The other thing from that game, though, I started on the ESPN feed. I knew I wasn't going to last long, but I wanted to at least kind of check in and see what Vasgersian and A-Rod were talking about, and it, was, it wasn't it was good. I jumped over to the StatCast feed. Jeremy was kind of giving me crap for not jumping sooner, uh, but Benetti and that crew, much better experience, uh, very enjoyable watching it, very highly rated game as well in general, just Yankees, Red Sox brings in the eyeballs, um, but fun to watch that. And, and although I was lamenting the Cubs not playing playoff games, it's nice watching the American League where I don't really have a dog in the fight. There's one team I don't want to see win the pennant in the AL, but I don't really have a dog in the fight. Cool ballpark like Fenway. Fantastic crowd at that ballpark as well. Uh, pitches that were called strikes instead of balls in the middle of at-bats 
and everybody's standing up. It's like what Wrigley Field and Cubs fans do for playoff games. So that was a lot of fun, and we'll see what the Sox can do here. Uh, opening up with a loss, though, against Tampa Bay today. This one, no, Randall, gets you very, very happy. National League wild card. The Dodgers won more than 100 ball games. They got to sort of fight off the St. Louis Cardinals here in order to play the Giants. Three to one the final. It was nine innings, a walk-off, two-run homer from Chris Taylor in the bottom of the ninth to win it for the Dodgers. Tense game, Randall. That one was tight. Opportunities for both teams. Some phenomenal pitching in that game. And then Chris Taylor's the hero. Boy, I was waiting all game for Tommy Edmond or some horse shit to knock a game-winning home run. And I was prepared to be apoplectic. But the, the Dodgers did not allow that to happen. And for that, I am thankful. And I saw a lot of people out there going, you know, boy, it would be funny if the 100-whatever win Dodgers lost in a, a one-game playoff and the Cardinals advanced. And I'm, what, what are these people thinking? You get the <laughs> Cardinals out as soon as you can. You have to prioritize here. There's lesser of two evils. Get that team out. And now the Dodgers can go play what's probably going to be a real spicy series against the Giants. Yeah. And they can, they can get eliminated that way. So, no, no, there, there's no scenario where you say, you know, I really hope the Cardinals pull this out. There's nobody in, <laughs> in this particular scenario where you'd say, yeah, I'd like to see this team lose more than the Cardinals. You get the worst teams out first, and you sort it out from there. And I'm glad the Dodgers were able to do that. And Adam Wainwright, yeah, you made them nervous. Go hang a banner for that. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of times where uh, O'Neill made me nervous. He was up with guys on base, and he's a fantastic player. He absolutely crushed the Cubs, particularly in September. And I want to be clear here. I'm not accusing the guy of using performance-enhancing drugs. I'm just saying he looks like it. He, the guy is all muscle. He's absolutely stacked, and he wears the tightest uniform in baseball. I think he's accentuating the muscles there. Seeing him in the batter's box, it, it kind of looks like 1998 from time to time when he's in there. He had some big chances last night for the Dodgers. Uh, rather for the Cardinals and couldn't do it. And then Chris Taylor is able to do it. So very rewarding, long game. I mean, especially for a low scoring game over four hours, but credit to Dodgers fans as well. Chavez Ravine was rocking. It looked awesome. I know they've done some renovations to the ballpark. That's a, a wonderful place. I got to get out there and see some baseball. Jeremy, you and I were talking about this last night. We're getting our annual road trip fired up next season. Chavez Ravine's got to be pretty high on the list. That's a place I got to get to. It looked fun last night. Yeah, definitely get out there for who knows what happens. I mean, that's what the second oldest ballpark in the National League, third oldest yeah. ballpark in all of Major League Baseball. So would love to get out there. Uh, Four-hour game. I'm sure Joe was not happy about that yeah, uh, behind the plate. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know Tyrone O'Neill's dad is a uh, well, like a, a weightlifter or whatever, like, uh, you know, Mr. Galaxy or something. I, I believe know. it. Yeah, like he's like a big-time <laughs> guy. So, you know, if anybody knows where to procure some, uh, you know, H-H or whatever maybe <laughs> i'm just joking but uh, i i totally believe tyler o'neill is just jacked <laughs> um yes but uh uh you know as randall said you want to get the cardinals out early so we got the cardinals out early i i you know what it was tough it was close the whole game but i honestly if the cardinals have to lose i love seeing them lose on a walk-off blown in yeah. the ninth inning uh, a game-winning homer from chris taylor it just kind of just twists the knife a little bit more i i'll go through those eight innings just to get that knife or that ninth and it reminded me a lot of unfortunately that game when the cubs played i, I 2017 against the dodgers and the nlcs when justin turner hit the walk-off it yeah. had a similar kind of vibe throughout that whole game where the cardinals scored first uh, i believe the cubs scored first that game was one nothing one one and it was kind of you know, chances nobody could score and then turner put it away well chris taylor put it away here uh, yeah. with a similar vibe and so yeah get the cardinals out it's always nice 
Well, we're going to have more time next week to go in-depth about who's still in the playoffs and series. The bulk of today's show, we wanted to reflect on the year. But there's a couple of playoff-related things that I do want to ask you. Let's try to keep this as concise as we can. Let's start in the National League. Jeremy, you mentioned Giants-Dodgers. First time in Major League Baseball history these teams are meeting in the playoffs. We got to experience that a couple years ago in 2015. Cubs-Cardinals meeting in that five-game series, and Cubs won it. Uh, What do you think, Jeremy? Giants, Dodgers, I want this to go five, but who do you think walks away winning that series? Well, I would love it to go five. I just, I, I think the Dodgers are the best team in baseball for me. So I think the Dodgers are going to end up winning it. Randall? I've also, I've also got the Dodgers in this one. I, I don't know how this Giants roster did it. I really don't. And they are missing Brandon Belt right now, the, the heart and soul of their team, and also a pretty good hitter and pretty good first baseman. I think the Dodgers probably take this one in a real close, real, real gritty, real dirty, real ugly five game series. I think you're going to have things like pitchers or starting pitchers come back on short rest. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot of bullpen struggles in late and close games. I think the Dodgers take this in a hard fought five game series. The key for me is five. Let's get this thing all the way to the end. Just the drama in that beautiful ballpark in San Francisco with these two teams going at it. That that's the intrigue that I want to see here and a nice distraction from the team that's playing the other game in the national league playoffs at this point. Um, I don't know who's going to win. I, I do think the Dodgers are the better team, but the better team doesn't win short series and the giants have been proven us wrong all year. So you know what? Maybe San Francisco does it. They take it in five. Here's the series, Randall. I wonder who you're going to pick Atlanta, Milwaukee, who you got? Yeah, boy, go, go. No, I can't even say it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm again, I I'm hoping the Braves get the Brewers out quick. The sooner the teams that I really dislike are out, the sooner I can just kind of cruise through the postseason and go, whatever happens, happens. So I'm hoping that the Braves are able to knock off the Brewers and another team that I absolutely loathe can be done sooner versus later. Yeah, I, I think Milwaukee probably knocks off Atlanta. I think their their pitching is just so good, and they've had you know some improvements elsewhere uh, throughout the year. Uh, Atlanta unfortunately doesn't have Ronald Acuna. Yeah, they were still able to put together win that division, but that division that division was kind of weak. Yeah, uh, they did make some big moves. They got Jack. They got Jorge, uh, Soler, Jorge Soler, the you know a couple ex Cubs who can't play the field but can hit the ball really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I still think Milwaukee's probably going to finish them off. I'm afraid that could be the case, but Team Frederick here, hopefully Atlanta can do it. Um, Braves are, are, or rather Milwaukee, is a very dangerous postseason team. They got hitters, got a ton of pitching, including power arms in the bullpen, and you only need four or five innings from a starter in some of these playoff games, let it ride in the bullpen, and they've got plenty of arms to work with. They don't have uh, Devin Williams, though. He nope. made a very, very bad mistake in celebrating the Brewers winning the division. He had too much to drink, started punching things. He's out with an injury. So the Brewers are down one of their arms, but still lots in the arsenal. Um, but go Atlanta, do what you got to do Beats there. to watch o- Bull Durham again. Yeah. Over in the American League, uh, the divisional series has started there. Let's start with the evening game. Rays take game one versus Boston. Rays may be the best team in the American League. They won the American League East. Can Boston come back in this series, Randall? You know, I don't think so. They've got two guys who are hurt, Rafael Devers and J.D. Martinez, both dealing with various injuries. I think the Rays are just the better team here by far. And I want to give another shout out to our guy, Stan Miller, Milbo 11 on Twitter. He specifically asked if we tonight would discuss the merits of, and I quote, playing playoff baseball in a circus like tent where no one knows whether a home run was actually a home run. Ronan, I know how you have thoughts on that ballpark and that team, but I do think the Rays are probably the better team in this series. 
they are the better team in the series. I'm pulling for Boston and that ballpark. And I, I it's not a ballpark. It doesn't deserve the name of a ballpark. The, the uh, tank that they play in down in St. Petersburg, Florida, is an absolute, complete and utter embarrassment. And the fact that you've got these rules depending on what part of the roof or structures that hang from the roof, th- this isn't Major League Baseball. It captures everything that I hate about that franchise from their owner to their fans, yet they continue to win. And they win baseball games year in and year out. So I'm pulling for Boston. I want to see Schwarbs have a nice long playoff run here. But the Rays are a very good team, and they're probably going to be the team that wins this series. Yeah, I think the Rays are a great team. I think they're, they're I always find them a fun team. I like watching them play. I think they're a great team. Uh, I'll probably root for them a little bit. Um, but I think they'll probably take it from Boston. I, I think it's just tough with Boston. Uh, Devers is obviously trying to play through his injury. Um, Martinez is on the roster. We'll see if he ever actually gets into a game. Um, but I, I think it's going to be the Rays. I think they're the best team in the AL for the most part. And I, I think they'll probably win this already up one. Nothing also helps. Speaking of up one, nothing dusty with the advantage here. This is the art bowl here between him and Tony LaRusso with the Chicago white Sox. one, nothing, the final today down in Houston orbits, happy Lucas Giolito gotta be on tomorrow or the white Sox are really in trouble. As long as he's not the uh, the mortgage commercial, worst pitcher in baseball. So as long as he's not that, were you surprised yeah. to see the Sox slapped around a little bit? That's a high power offense, very quiet today. And then uh, Lance Lynn, who's been one of their best pitchers this season, just didn't have it. I, a I little. I'm oh, sorry, Jeremy. Go ahead. At all, um, because. Lance Lynn only throws fastballs and the Astros destroy fastballs. And I thought it was a terrible matchup. I was surprised they threw Lance Lynn number one. I I know he's the veteran, the top guy uh, on their rotation, but it just didn't make sense to me. And then I thought Tony made a mistake. Um, I I, I wouldn't have probably brought him out for the fourth inning. Then when it was three, nothing, I mean, at that point, it's bottom of the order. It's three, nothing, but I would have tried to keep the game close. And then your seven, eight, nine, all hit a balls over a hundred miles an hour. And then next thing you know, uh, Altuve hits a double, and you're now you're stuck facing Michael Brantley, who crushes fastballs, crushes right-handed pitching, up against Lance Lynn, and Brantley obviously crushed Lance Lynn and had a two-run uh, a single. And I just thought, you know, I, I just didn't get it. I, I didn't get what they were doing with Lance. I thought it was a terrible matchup. And you know, I, I think the Astros are a good team. I think they're a really good team, and I think this White Sox team has some issues. So I, I think the what I think the Astros are the team here to beat. Jeremy, are you suggesting Tony Larusa was asleep at the wheel in the dugout? Oh. <laughs> I yeah, I guess I don't know. I did. If you laughed at my art bowl joke, and I'm I heard, I heard about it. that. You hey, heard it. I love no. the the dusty. I love the dusty uh, Tony rivalry. It goes back forever. It goes Many back years. to when they were teammates. It goes back, you know, a long time. And we saw it here in Chicago on both on what Dusty was with the, the Cubs. We, we saw it in Chicago when Tony was with the White Sox. Um, but, you know, I love that rivalry and I can't wait for the rest of this series. I think if bench is clear in that series, it should just be settled by Dusty and Tony duking it out at home plate. <laughs> uh, that'd be something to see. Uh, I, I don't think the Sox are going to go down without a fight, though. This team is going to score some runs. And uh, this isn't going to be a three-game sweep, but we'll have a chance to talk about that a little bit more next week. One final segment here before we bring this home. Last couple of minutes, we want to talk Chicago Bears. They beat the Lions 24-14 to last week at Soldier Field to move to 2-2. Two and two. Looked like a whole different offense. Justin Fields 
had a wonderful game. Now they're back on the road. We know this season, home game, road game, well, rather, road game, home game, road game, home game. That's the alternate that's happening all season. Tough matchup this weekend, Sunday afternoon in Las Vegas. They've got the three and one Raiders who are coming off a loss here the other night. Randall, can the Bears move to three and two or is this two and three? I, I think they can. I don't think they will. I think mm. this is a real tough game on the road. Um, it, I never feel right losing to a John Gruden coach team because I feel like you could distract him with something shiny walking by and he'd tell you, Hey, look at that shiny thing right there. And he'd tell you all about it. And, um, but I do, I do think this is going to be a tough matchup for them defensively on the road, but you know what, uh, Matt Nagy's not not calling plays anymore. He's handed over the keys to the offense. Justin Fields has officially been named the starting quarterback. None of this uh, Dalton is the starter when healthy. Miracles do happen. So let's see what Justin Fields can do in this hostile environment. Tough place to play on the road against a good defense. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not optimistic about the rest of the season. I'm not optimistic about this game. Uh, I think the Raiders are actually a pretty good team. Uh, they did lose to the Chargers last week, but going into that state new stadium in Las Vegas, um, Bears already played there, I believe, at last year. And uh, but you know, facing the Raiders uh, when they or maybe I'm thinking of the game in London when they struggled against the Raiders in the past. Um, but uh, I, I just think that. I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical of the Bears' ability to win this game on the road. So I, th I think that the Raiders win this ball game. Well, I've picked a win every week. Maybe you're sensing a theme here. And damn it, we're doing it again. Uh, got a chance to see the Oakland, Vegas, Los Angeles Raiders here. Uh, and, and they're beatable. I think it's going to be a huge Chicago crowd in Las Vegas. Yes, it's a road game. I bet there's more people in that stadium cheering for the Bears. Justin Fields named number one. Let's get that road victory here. So I got the Bears winning on Sunday, moving to three and two. And I think they're going to find a way to keep this interesting. Don't love the coaching staff. There's holes on the line. There's injury issues now at the running back position. But a lot of excitement around this quarterback. So let's see the Bears do it Sunday. Let's go. Definitely. All right. Well, let's go, Randall. We've had a long, fun show here tonight, the 39th edition of Behind the Yellow Line. We hope you enjoyed this inaugural edition of the Randy's Awards. We got to four. So if you took the over earlier, we landed there. Four total Randy's handed out. We looked back on the good, the bad, the not so uh, fun that happened. Uh, but all in all, we're ready to move into this offseason here and start talking about this next great Chicago Cubs team. We'll be back next week. Other odds and ends to chat about. MLB playoffs will certainly drive that show. And as always, we'll talk some Chicago Bears football. With Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.